Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. Let's hit singles and doubles, singles and doubles, maybe an occasional triple. You keep going for home runs, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you know, strike out on a, on a bunch of properties. That that's worrisome. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors, and welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. I'm extremely excited about our guest today. We've got a really, really high-level uh, real estate uh, acquisition guy. I think some of, the, some of the best comes from some of the best in the country. Name's Peter Powers. He's a second generation member of the MPI family office. He's our VP of acquisitions and asset management. He's really overseeing what they're doing from a commercial real estate perspective. So Peter, super excited to have you on today. Thank you for joining. Ken, I appreciate the invite. I'm happy to be on as well. Yeah, I mean, it's so, uh, so Peter and I met at uh, this conference event a few months ago and I was just blown away by one, what their, the family office that they built and the way that they're looking at things, but also just Peter's knowledge being, you know, all out you, a relatively young guy, right? Um, mm. But you've been able to come in and really, I think, take over this acquisitions piece and just your sophistication, a way of looking at deals is what I'm excited to dig into today and mm. just share with some of our listeners from what you guys are doing in your lens and giving them some insights into how just such a sophisticated group is looking at the market and deals with everything that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, let's start at the top. Like we always do, Peter, tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Well, first I appreciate the introduction, but yeah, I mean, a little bit about myself. So, you know, MPI family office is based out at Tampa Bay, Florida my family's uh, investment office. We invest in operating businesses and, you know, real estate across the country. You know, we formulated our family office about 15 years ago, coming out of 2008. It's a very, it's very similar story to a number of families out there that had, um, you know, small to mid-sized businesses. Um, we, we decided to pivot um, and to transition to a family office after losing um, a tremendous amount of money in the markets. And, now, you know, fast forward to today, you know, we own close to 7,000 apartments, a dozen senior living facilities, and a number of other assets. But a 
a little bit more background on myself. Um, I am a little bit younger, 26 years old, but you know, what my mentors and, you know, some of the other family officers we work with tell me is, you know, really experience comes down to, you know, the decisions you have to make. I've been fortunate and um, to make some pretty big decisions in my life, both on investments and career path. So I think, you know, my, my, I've really been able to, to garner a lot of experience over these past, I guess, past eight years now, um, started in, in 2014 while I was um, first attending uh, Florida State University. So, you know, my path was I decided to not go with the family business, which was the diabetic care facilities, to get involved into real estate. So I started as a lot of other people do. I started reading up on it, started, you know, doing all, looking at all the podcasts and you know, watching various different videos. And, you know, one of the advantages I have over a lot of other people is you know, my family's pretty well connected. So I was able to, you know, take advantage of a lot of internships. So I think I did five internships over four years. All of them, I didn't get paid a cent. So you, people talk about their 10,000 hours. I put 10,000 hours in and I didn't get paid a cent. Yeah. So really the methodology there was, I mean, you got to enjoy what you're doing if you're going to put that much time and effort into you know a craft. So I did that before I made money. Uh, while I was at school, I was kind of taking over the acquisitions for a company and then decided to join that company for um, a number of years where I really cut my teeth uh, to, to learn the acquisitions. And I came back to my family to build up our real estate platforms. So that's what I do now. I, I lead the acquisitions, the asset management um, dispositions and, um, you know, craft the strategies alongside my father and my uncle. So that's a little bit about my family, you know, myself, a little bit about my family. Um, you know, again, yeah. we're, I'm a second generation member. My, my father and uncle are first generation members of, of MPI family office. And, you know, we're still, you know, still in a very exciting phase of our family office and definitely a little bit uh, more nimble than most of the family offices you hear about. Yeah. I love that story. I'm glad you shared that because, you know, you talk about what, yeah, you're a younger guy, you know, and a lot of people get held up on those things or have limiting yeah. beliefs around, Oh, you know, just age or I'm not, I'm, I'm not there. I got to be older, you know, like just, like this age as it matters is it's like this requirement, but I love how you 26, I mean, you've, you've put in eight years in the grind of learning this yeah. stuff, right? I love mm -hmm. one. I just love the story because like me, I started looking into real estate and well, I mean, so I was about 32, right? Yeah. So you're so far ahead of me, right? From a knowledge standpoint and learning, like you were doing the stuff I was doing at 32, you were like 18, right? Yeah. And, and I love that. It's amazing. Love that entrepreneurial spirit. And then two, just what you've done from finding your passion, putting in the hours unpaid, right? I love five unpaid internships. I mean, but you've learned a ton, right? And, and you're, yeah. you're, it's, it's, it's exactly right. I love what you said about experience. It's about the quality and, and maybe the magnitude of the decisions that you have to make because yeah. you don't. I mean, I think everybody knows at this point, right? You're not, you're not going to learn that in college, right? You're not, you don't learn that. You don't learn this stuff through yeah. podcasts and books. I mean, you do, that's great. But until you're doing it, until you're in the thick of it, like you're not really gaining that expertise. So I love you're able yeah. to dig in, learn about this and then bring that value back to your family. And now the family office is diversified into, into real estate. You build up a sizable portfolio, yeah. Uh, and, the and the value that you brought back to the family. I just think it's an incredible story. I think there's a lot of lessons for anybody to learn. I mean, I mean even if people aren't in a position to be a part of family office, right? It's just educate yourself, 
put in the sweat equity, learn yeah. it. Doesn't matter your age, you can be successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, takes a lot of work, and it's with anything. Um, you you got to get down into the trenches. So it's like when I started, I started in management. I mean, I was working in a leasing office in Arizona in the middle of summer. It was 120 degrees. <laughs> yeah. I was spending the other half of my time doing some of the maintenance orders. But, you know, really going from, you know, the first level all the way up until where we are now watching over everything, it gives me a unique perspective. You know, again, when I'm we're acquiring deals, you know, we closed about a probably about a quarter billion dollars worth of deals last year. We'll do probably around one hundred fifty million dollars deals this year. Um, But when I can look into the deals, really go through the, you know, the business plan and really come up with a strategy that I know is very realistic because I've been the boots on the ground. I know how realistic it is to carry out some of these strategies. It gives us, you know, more and more confidence. It allows us to to pull the trigger on a lot of assets in a time when most people wouldn't. You know, we're doing that right yeah. now with the senior living facilities, you know, acquiring a number of them across the country just because we're like, this is a great time. Senior housing's on the up and you can buy these assets at at discounted prices. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I think that confidence, right? The confidence yeah. to acquire it when everybody else is running the other the other direction yeah. is where yeah. you create tremendous value and you gain that confidence through your experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, again, love that story. So one thing, and and if you're comfortable sharing, I mean, what as you look at your family office's portfolio, I mean, what's the allocation yeah. to real estate? What's the percentage that you guys are are maybe, what's your goal or kind of where are you? We're, we're about 50 to 60% real estate. We're sitting on a good bit of cash right now. We're mm-hmm. in the process of uh, selling a few assets, um, you know, we're, we're, which we're very happy about. Um, you know, some groups are going to be assuming our debt. So we'll be, you know, even less allocated towards real estate. But, you know, really, real estate has, you know, over the past, you know, 12 to 15 years become more the heart of my um, family's investment office. It was the diabetic care facilities, but we're looking to, you know, we're in the process of either selling that off or building it up further you know, in that transition decision phase. Yeah. Um, but real estate really, we do think is the next chapter of growth for my family. So I want everybody to pay attention to what he just said, because you're saying their allocation of real estate is from 50 to 60% of their portfolio, right? Hundreds, I mean, a $600 million real estate portfolio. And the reason I want people to pay attention to this is because I have this conversation with, with folks all the time, right? I mean, there's a spot in everybody's portfolio for real estate. If, if you think you're diversified because you invest in five mutual funds, like that's not the truth, right? You've got to be diversified across asset classes. And when I talk to just, you know, maybe average, let's go say just average average Joes, right? Regular folks ask them about their portfolio. And I say, what's your allocation of real estate? And almost everybody it's, it's zero, right? It's zero. So if it's working for some of the best family offices in the world, if it's working for MPI and they're at 50%, like guys, don't you think there's a reason they're doing that? Don't you think it works for you? So like, that's the message I want to hit home on is there's a spot in everybody's portfolio for real estate and to be truly diversified, you got to get across asset classes, right? Like yeah. I just, that's critical for folks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you look at some of the bigger family offices, you know, let's talk about Cascade Investments, right? That's Bill Gates' family office. Mm-hmm. He owns the most farmland in the U.S. 
different type of real estate. He's doing one of the biggest developments in Tampa Bay history, the Water Street development, which I'll be meeting with some of the people later today. That's a three and a half billion dollar development he's doing. Wow. He owns he owns the Four Seasons Hotel brand. Most people don't know that. Like there's a number of some of these big family offices that you know maybe they fly under the radar because the name is Cascades Investments, but that's Bill Gates's family. So you look at his, you look at you know even Elon Musk. You look at some of these bigger you know giant you know players um, in the in the in the family office world. They have you know I don't know if it's it's not 50 percent, but it's you know 10 to 20 to 25 percent of their of their active holdings. Yeah, it's not it's not zero, right? And that's the yeah. important message, right? The sophisticated best investors in the world are focusing on real estate and largely commercial real estate, right? And that's yeah. why that's what we want to hit home to to everybody out there. I mean, make sure you guys are educating yourselves. Make sure you're doing like Peter did. We're listening, we're starting with podcasts, right? You're here. That's a great first start. But how do you get to that next step of education and how do you get to a point where you can take action on it, right? That's what people yeah. need to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, continue to learn. You know, we're in the process. I'm in the process of actually hiring. Just, I mean, I've never had to do this, but we're going to hire um, a mentor for myself um, to help us strengthen our asset management. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, we're always, I'm always watching videos, always reading. I still spend, you know, probably most of my day reading, whether it be investor reports, whether it be, you know, financials for new profit. I'm always spending my time educating myself, and I, I pick up little things here or there. And, you know, again, that helps us craft better decisions and helps us become better prepared. I love that, man. A lifelong learner, right? You got to be a lifelong yeah. learner. Well, th this is fantastic, Peter. I appreciate the information. I want to I want to dig in a little bit to yeah. your portfolio, right? I want to yeah. understand a little bit more about maybe just give us the breakdown of the portfolio, kind of what are the different asset classes, you know, maybe percentages if you have them. Um, let's, let's start there. Let's kind of talk through that. Yeah. Yeah. So we really divvy up the pie. The three major areas where 95% of our holdings are in are affordable workforce housing. Okay. So that's done through conventional apartments. It's done through our LIHTC platform. And then that's also done through our hotel to apartment conversion platform. Okay. So we're really targeting, you know, families that, you know, are work, you know, they're, they're police officers, they're teachers or, you know, they, they work in the, um, the hospitality industry. You know, that's our, that's our housing platform. And then we have our private pay senior living facility platform. So that's the independent living, assisted living, and memory care. Again, we own about a dozen assets. We're closing on another one later this week, early next week. Um, we're looking at another few assets. But all of those are all private pay. We're not dealing with insurance companies. It's really people 80, 80 years old and older that are getting to that point in life where maybe they're having some cognitive decline or they need help with some of their everyday um, items. So we're not just giving them housing. We're also providing ac activities. We're providing food to them. You know, we're giving them, you know, we're providing a whole lifestyle for them. And then our third platform, which really isn't a growth platform for us right now um, until prices really come down is our uh, storage platform. So we own that's about 1200 self storage units, which are concentrated in, in Southwest Florida. Um, but again, we'd love to acquire and build that platform up more, but we've been focusing more on the, on the private pacing and living facilities in our workforce, um, workforce affordable programs. Gotcha. That's extremely helpful. It's kind of three main asset classes. You got your yeah. multifamily, a couple of different flavors of multifamily. 
you got your senior living and then you've got your your storage. And so you said really the focus yeah. now has been on building out that senior living portfolio kind of, yeah. is that, is that just because that's where you think the deals are? Or is it because you just, you want to build up that allocation relative to your, your multifamily? It's being driven because that's where the deals are. So, gotcha. you know, going back to, you know, the first chapter of our story, which is um, our diabetic care facilities, they cater to, you know, people of that demographic in terms of the mm-hmm. age cohort. So we have been in that business for 30 years. We understand what their needs are. We used to have them, you know, they used to come on, uh, come to our facilities on the buses and we'd have them come in. So we, you know, we would have them coming from these uh, senior living facilities. Yeah. We've always had a, you know, an active pulse on, you know, how that's, how the whole industry has evolved and what it's looked like. Um, we were looking at really building up our platform right before COVID. We owned, um, little less than half a dozen assets, but you know, COVID happened and it destroyed the senior housing industry in terms of you know occupancies dropped from you know high 80s, low 90s percent to some cases 40, 50 percent occupancy. And you know, keep in mind, you know, the break-even point on these is is, is a lot higher than than uh, the multifamily because it's more of a business. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to actually you know do a lot of things for them. You're not just providing a ho- housing for them. Yeah. So you know, we kind of put the brakes on that. And then about a year, year and a half ago, we started seeing those occupancies really start to pick back up. So we started putting our feelers out there. Um, you know, we have a couple different operating partners that we work with, you know, put the word out that we're very active. We have money that we want to put towards that space. And, you know, we've been on a buying spree, acquiring facilities, you know, one in Texas, we closed on last month. We have another one in Boston. We're closing on um, in a couple of days. You know, we're buying these assets at 20, 30, 40, 50% discount um, to replacement value. This asset up in Boston, a 30% discount to what their initial pricing was. And why is that? There's, you know, two reasons. One, because of look what's going on in the capital markets, right? Debt cost has gone up a lot, Mm -hmm. which means, you know, a lot of groups, they have to come up with more equity. And at the same time, a lot of equity is pulled back. So there's more of a, a delta to solve for. And then also this buyer needs to sell this asset before the end of the year. So it's one of those stories where you know, you, you're being forced to sell something at, the, at, at a time that's not the best time to sell it. Right. So right. we're really acquiring that asset at, at, at a great basis. And we're very excited about, um, you know, bringing that, uh, bringing that community back up to stabilization and then just, you know, you know, sitting on and, and bringing in the cash flow. That's our goal. Yeah, that that's awesome. I love it. You guys are positioned to take advantage of these opportunities, and you guys are are buying in the in the face of fear, right? Everything we're yeah. hearing in the media, all these headlines, everything's negative, right? But yeah. I think the smart investors understand that there's buying opportunities in these times, right? And if you're well mm-hmm. positioned and capitalized, you can take advantage of that. So love hearing that you guys are going after those things. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you're looking for an investment, right? You're looking at a, at a real estate investment with senior multifamily, you know, what are some of the key things you're looking for? I mean, let's start with the market. Like, what are you looking for yeah. at a market? Are there key metrics you're looking at? I mean, what are some of the top things? Yeah. Well, first for us, as always, we do all of our investments. We do all of them through joint ventures. So we team up um, with operators that have mm-hmm. experience in an area. Um, we call them our, our essentially our non-negotiables. One is what is their experience and track record? Have they been through um, cycles, market cycles? Have they been through debt cycles? 
Yep. Are they putting money into the deal? How much skin are they putting into the game? You know, what's the transparency? We want full transparency, access to the operating systems, access to certain reports, access to key members of their team. You know, who's on their team? You know, how does, you know, how does the business work? How, do, how are decisions made? Um, and then structure. You know, we want to do it through a joint venture structure. We want, to ha- we want to control those major capital events, which we do for most of our investments. And then yeah. moving on to the deal, I mean, we really do, you know, uh, it's more of a ground, uh, you know, we travel out to these properties. So it's more of a ground level approach where we go out there, we want to get a feel for the area. You know, if it's multifamily, okay, you know, let's get a feel of, you know, how safe is the area? How close are you to the major thoroughfares? How close mm-hmm. are you to the schools? How close are you to the employment centers, the retail? Get a real feel for it and then get an idea of, okay, we're looking to acquire this asset at this basis. How does that compare to the market? Are we getting a discount to market? Is, you know, what is the current going in cash flow? We've always focused on cash flow going into these facilities, which typically means you're focusing on it a lower um, all-in basis. So that's what really is, you know, is going to help us weather the, the um, upcoming storm that is, is, is very much going to happen in the, in the financial, um, in the financial world with these, you know, assets seeing huge, uh, huge uh, devalue devaluations. So. Yeah. I love that. Just to hit home on the point you made, uh, I love that you said cash flow, and I love that you said you're focusing yeah. on basis, right? I mean, these are, those are those defensive kind of metrics, right? If the property, mm-hmm. if you, if you're buying it right, you're not overpaying, you're buying it at a discount to replacement cost. And if it's cash flowing, I mean, you know, it's cash flowing well, like that, that's protection, right? Like you said, against what we expect yeah. kind of upcoming downturn recession, right? As long as it's cash flowing, you can, you can pay that mortgage. You can live to fight another day, right? You can keep going yeah. um, and get through any dip. So I love hitting on those points as far as things yeah. for people to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. So as you are, um, yeah, so I wanted to hit on that point and I wanted to come back around uh, to something else you said just around the, so you mentioned that your, you know, you're really starting by finding the right partners. Finding the right partners. Right. Very it's all about the, the finding the right partners. And and uh-huh. for you, it's in a JV uh, relationship. I think for a lot joint of our listeners, uh-huh. yeah, for that joint venture, I think for a lot of our listeners, it's probably finding that right, that deal sponsor, that syndication deal sponsor, right? But But either way, it's all about the operator, right? It's, yeah. it's, I say it all the time on the show, but it's a great operator can save a bad deal and a bad operator can kill a good deal. Right. Yeah. You're right. You're, yeah. you're, you're spot on. Yeah. I mean, you got, what is their track record? How do they deal with problems? Yeah. You know, one of the things we do for all of our reports, especially our quarterly reports, uh, cause we have other families that will invest alongside us is I tell them like, and, and we work with our operators, what are the main problems we've dealt with? And we, we know what the problems are. You know, things happen. It's a business. It never goes like the pro forma says it goes. Yeah. So what are the problems? How quickly did you, you know, look to find solutions? And then what was the ultimate solution? And then, you know, how are, the, how are we going to use what just happened to, to make the deal even better or stronger? So it's, it's happened yeah. on, you know, every single deal we've been involved in. And that's just business. So yes, asking what are the problems you've dealt with and how have you, how have you, you know, kind of lifted yourself back up to, to, to get ahead on the investment. Absolutely. Because we we learn the most from our our mistakes, right? Those are the, those Uh, are really when you get the lessons and 
um, really the learning moments. I mean, I, I can tell you for a fact, every single acquisition and then every single deal that we're operating stuff has happened. Different things have, you learn something yeah. every single time, you know? And, and so I love that hearing, digging into what were those lessons learned and how are you now doing things differently? I think that that's fantastic and something for, for things that everybody should be asking uh, prior to making an investment with somebody, you know, whether you're investing the, all the equity as you guys would, or you're investing 50, hundred thousand dollars, right? Really? Yeah. It's really important guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we look at every investment that way. You know, I, both sides of my family came from, you know, really nothing in, uh, you know, Western Pennsylvania and, you know, had to go to, you know, had to play sports in order to go to college and really built upon that. So it's just, it's a hustle mentality. You know, we're mm -hmm. always, you know, I mean, I had a call this morning with our CFO or, okay, where is everything? Why is that, you know, why is that being spent? Why, why can it be done this way? We're looking for efficiencies. So we yeah. really take that and it translates to how we invest and how we review, you know, these, these properties after we acquire them. We want to make sure we really extract as much value as possible. So we put a lot of value on our value add techniques that here everyone talk about. But you know, what are the what's the actual steps to to actually get that done? That's not a question that be, that, that gets asked a lot. How are you actually going to do that? You know, right now people talk about oh, we'll renovate units. Okay, well, do you have great vendors where you can actually get those materials? Because you know, at the end of the day, if it's going to take you a few extra months to do some of this. Uh, do some of these renovations, that means the unit isn't going to be occupied. And at the end of the day, you know, investments are, you know, we, we gauge them based upon time value of money, right? Sure. You know, the IRR of the investment. So if things yeah. have to get pushed out longer, your your rate of return doesn't end up being nearly as attractive as you expected it. So really diving into how are these strategies going to be carried out is is very much important to us. Absolutely. I love that level of detail. So as you guys are evaluating deals, just going back to IRRs and, and different metrics, I mean, what yeah. are there kind of minimums, baselines or things, you know, what are the metrics that you guys really gravitate toward and are kind of your minimums and, and kind of how have those things changed uh, maybe from last year to, to now have expectations shifted? Yeah. So one, you know, again, we always look at things um, along the lines of, okay, who are we teaming up with? What is their, you know, if you really want to de-risk an investment, we're always looking at, you know, I'm always, when I'm looking at deals, I'm more, more pessimistic than optimistic. I'm looking mm -hmm. for all the holes. What are the potential issues that can happen? So when we're looking to team up with groups, I want to understand what is their experience? How much money are they putting into these investments? And how is the deal structured? Yep. At the end of the day, if you can really put an emphasis on those and do your best to control those, then you're going to be in a great situation regardless of what happens in the market. So, yeah. you know, something like the debt, you know, the debt markets have gone, have gone crazy. A yeah. lot of people, you know, maybe they, they, they got some of this bridge debt and maybe it's at a great rate. Let's say it's at, you know, maybe they got a, they got a rate cap and it's still at 4%. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? You know, that, that, that debt expires in, in, in a year, you know, the debt markets aren't going to be too good. So you're good for now, but right. that whole duration risk, you know, for us looking long-term structuring our deals, so they can function well long term is, you know, what, you know, allows us to achieve the returns that we have. You know, we can't yeah. control these, these blips in the market. So if we focus on long term, you know, make very conservative investments, it's going to continue to build up our build up our wealth. Um, so that's yeah. 
those are the, those are the items we really focus on the downside um, instead yeah. of just what's the upside. Yeah. What are the things we can control? I love that. I love that because it's it's different than kind of your unsophisticated investor who I find gets just enamored with this IRR number, right? Yeah. It's I'll take whichever deal has the highest IRR. That's all I really care about. You didn't mention that once, right? When I asked you what you really look at, it was all about downside protection, right? All about yeah. risk and managing risk. Because I think if I can imply your thought process is, look, these th you know properties, real estate appreciates over time. If we can- yeah limit the risk and limit that downside. We know over time it's going to appreciate and we're going to make uh, you know a good return because historically that's just what things have done. Right. But it's all yeah. about managing that downside. I love that. So everything you're focusing on, you know, and I'm sure you're looking at debt yields and debt coverage ratios, right. Understanding what yeah. that cushion looks like, break even occupancies, right. Yeah. What are, what are growth assumptions? Are they reasonable? Right. Yeah. I mean, also it's just, yeah, you hear a lot of this stuff and it sounds great. And I'll give you an example. So let's yeah. talk about these bridge loans. Let's just talk about a floating rate. Let's say it's a 10-year loan. Let's say it's yeah. agency, Fannie, Freddie. Let's say it's on an apartment community. You'll, let's say that they they have, you know, they got a really attractive rate cap where their interest rate risk is really, you know, they, they took that risk down because mm -hmm. they're capped at 5%. Well, something that you don't hear about, and unless you're really involved, you wouldn't see, is that's great. You're capped at 5%. But what that what that lender, you know, in this case Fannie or Freddie is going to make you do is they're going to automatically make you start putting money aside in reserves for your next cap. So yeah. you think, oh, I'm in a great position. Well, you're in a lot better position than what most people are in. But guess what? You're still having to take a lot of that money out, put it to reserves where it's not really doing anything. It's just kind of a rainy day fund, and it really disrupts your your cash flows during the whole period. Unless you're involved in you know investments, you're not going to really understand that or ask that question. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. we don't know what we don't know, and you know these are the items that you, that you learn while just doing a bunch of deals. And some of these issues sometimes you run into unexpectedly, um, but people just need to understand that is maybe you have a great deal and maybe that, that that's how it's structured, but you're probably not going to get much cash flow from it because you're having to put away money in reserves for you know kind of the, the, the second you know rate cap in this example so that's something yeah. you don't hear about again it's good it's a great it could be a great deal but don't be expecting a lot of cash flow during during tough times when the rates are increasing yeah i think that's a great that's great level setting on expectations right because cash flows just aren't what they used to be right i mean yeah. debt debt costs more right and and like you said the reserve requirements uh that are there yeah. i mean you just gotta you need to sock more away it's it's safer, it's smarter, it de-risks, it's limiting your risk, right? If you have these reserves in place, it's, yeah. it's smart to do. But I think investors, you know, there's a way that investors can look at that almost as a positive, but we're getting less cash, but we're actually socking this money away to lower the risk, right? And so I think there yeah. maybe there's a perspective there, but it just, as far as resetting expectations, cash flows just aren't what they used to be a couple of years ago, no. right? No, it's gotten... Definitely got impacted um, for sure. You know, again, we always put emphasis on the going in cash flow, but also where, where are we going to really improve this? We're not just buying a community just to sit and hold on, hold right. on to it. There, there needs to be some serious ways where we can increase and infuse, you know, value into these properties. You know, you know, actually, not not passively, but actively add value. Absolutely. Not just hoping you're buying at a good price and you know you'll be able to sell it for 
X amount of dollars more in a couple of years. You actually yeah. need to prove out that business. And that's what, that's what's happening right now. And a lot of these operators that have had a lot of success over the last, let's call it five, seven, 10 years, they haven't had to actively add value. It's just been more on the passive end. And it's hard to really see the difference there, but you know, when you're buying a property at a, let's to say they bought it five years ago at a you know five and a half cap rate, and let's say they sold it last year for a four cap rate, that's a big difference. You're talking Absolutely. about a, a 20, it's called a, a 18 multiple, and then now you're selling at 25 multiple. So one Absolutely. dollar value added, you know, really gives you, you know, five to seven extra dollars, right, of, of, of value on the back end. So it's hard to differentiate between the two, but, you know, really quizzing the groups you're working with and understanding what they've done on past deals, and they show you a case study. Walk me through it. What was your business plan? You know, I'm seeing that right now. There's there's a big issue with some of these groups selling some of these deals and making 20, 30 IRRs over two years. But if you knew what their original business plan was, it was to hold on to the deal for five years, double investors' money. And why did they sell it in two years? Because their bridge debt expired. They weren't yeah. able to get that extension. So yeah, they got they still made money on the deal, but it doesn't right. mean a full picture of what the actual business plan for the investment was. Yeah, I love that perspective because it's, you know, I was like, we just, as I breakfast with somebody this morning, we were talking about how, you know, everybody's been fat and happy for a long time, right? Cap rate compression has kind of healed yeah. all wounds, hidden all blemishes. Um, yeah. Now, now's the time that we really got to dial in to the asset management and really focus on running a best in, a best in class shop, right? Yeah. And I think that's what you're bringing up is separating returns are great, but everybody's returns have been great. Right. So separating the cap rate compression from the actual operational value add, that actual forced appreciation component yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then what risk was taken? That's a whole nother element that it's just, you know, the average person, the average investor is not going to understand. But, you know, if they're doing crazy high leverage and they had it where, you know, it was you know, floating rate and they had all these other elements, but they ended up getting saved because the market was good. And they mm -hmm. made these, they made this money. Well, what if you mm -hmm. did an investment that made, you know, three quarters of the return, but it was substantially less risk. Those right. are the deals that we're looking for. Again, yeah. you keep, let's hit singles and doubles, singles and doubles, maybe an occasional triple. Love you it. keep going for home runs. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you know, strike out on a, on a bunch of properties. That that's worrisome um, yep. for, for, for a lot of people investing out there, because at the end of the day, their interests really aren't aligned with the group they're working with. The group they're working with just, have to do a few items here or there and they make a crazy amount of money and they don't have much money in the deal. So they don't really have much of a downside. Yeah. So that's with the investor. It's, it's the complete opposite. They make good money if the deal operates well, but the deal doesn't operate well. They will, they stand a lot to lose. So it's, it's unfortunate, yeah. but that's just where the market's been the last you know, decade. Man, I love this perspective. I think Peter, you're just dropping so many gold nuggets in this episode. Everybody's going to go back, listen to it again take all this in. I mean, if you want to know how to invest in real estate and how to look at deals, like this is how it's done. This is how the best groups out there are doing it. So really appreciate you sharing all this. Before I let you go, I'm going to take you through our keys to success round. There's four questions awesome. I'm going to ask you. The first one, which is just so in your wheelhouse is if you were going to invest in a deal, right? You're doing a JV with somebody, but you yeah. can only ask them one question. What's the one question you would ask them? Yeah, well, that's a good question about the one question. The, what, <laughs> I, what I would what I would ask them is, 
what what have their failures been? Describe to me what your failures have been and how have you learned from that? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the number one. What have been the issues? And I was speaking with a group last week and they were involved in 2008 and they had some pretty big institutional deals. And some of these giant institutions that everyone would know about, they went away or they completely came out of the business and they just sold all of their assets because it was in an asset class that they didn't fully understand and they sold the deals at a loss. They, they forced them to sell it. So what you learn from that is really watch who you partner up with because if they could force the sale, it could really put you in a bad situation, which can, mm-hmm. again, a blemish on your record can, can affect your company for, for the rest of its existence. Absolutely. Man, that, that's a that's an interesting thing I bet not many people think about is mm-hmm. who are you partnering with and you know what could go wrong there that could force you to again sell at the at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Man, and again, the focus there is on risk. It's it's again on risk, you know, coming back to that. That's awesome. What are you most proud of in your career? What am I most proud of? Like tell you what gets me excited. I mean, what what gets me the most excited is really the people I get to sit down with. I mean, some of these very high level um, investors and 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 you know some of the high level executives and founders of some of these big these big companies where you know they're 70, 80 years old. I could sit down with them and really just pick their brain on you know some of the some of the issues they've had in their business or some of their their best learnings. That's what that's what really makes me um, that gets me going. But in terms of what I'm proud of, you know, I'm I'm proud of building up you know a business. You know, to buy these to buy these you know each property is a business for our, for us. That's how we look at it. Is to buy these these assets really improve the way of living for these people and give people housing. At the end of the day, you know, it's, you hear everyone talking about what's going on in the in you know with the government and the environment. It's very unfortunate, but you know you have a lot of households out there, somewhere around 25% of households spend over 50% of their income towards rent. That's a real big issue. And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, shelter is one of the first items. So I'm happy to provide shelter for a lot of the people out there that and a lot of the families that might have been priced out of, you know, wherever they were living. Oh, I love that, man. I love that. that. That absolutely is something to be proud of. What is a book that everybody should read? So my favorite books, I always like books with a lot of stories in them. So I'll give you two off, two, two uh, routes to go. One, all the books that have been written by Howard Marks. So Howard Marks uh, runs a giant um, investment company called Oak Tree Advisors. He's one of the, he's really one of the sages um, that most people don't hear about. He also has a great podcast as well, where he takes, because he does newsletters that everyone can subscribe to. He does a, mm-hmm. usually it's monthly or quarterly newsletter, you know, just talking about the overall sentiment in the, in the market. Um, he's a, he's a great guy. So he's written a couple books, um, you know, about the debt cycles and, you know, the most important things when looking at investments, those are great. And then the books, uh, written by Dale Carnegie, you know, how to stop worrying and start living because, you know, we all get so involved into our everyday, you know, businesses and, you know, with issues that come up, but being able to manage some of those worries, some of those headaches, and to really focus on the long term, and you know, at the end of the day, things are going to be all right. That that's also great for for mental health and awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great great ads. Appreciate you uh, giving us those tips, and we'll make sure all those uh-huh. books are listed below so folks can go and get access to those. And and then yeah, the Howard mm-hmm. Marks newsletter is an awesome yeah. resource. Like you said, it is. free resource. Everybody yeah. should be on that. 
Um, last but not least, Peter, what is your number one key to success? My key, again, I'm very pessimistic when it comes to looking at a lot of businesses, but it's always focusing on long-term. Regardless of what it is, focus on the long-term. You know, if you make, you learn little things every single day and you, you make, you know, valuable decisions, you know, you don't even have to make many valuable decisions. You make one valuable decision every quarter, one very valuable one, big one every year, you know, and look towards the long-term. That's, that's how success, you know, occurs. It's focusing on the long-term, not the short-term, you know, the money that's out there, you know, don't, don't go out there trying to, you know, you know, look for all these little ways to, you know, make a buck here, a buck there, focus on the long-term and that'll really help you protect your downside. Absolutely. And I think real estate plays well into that strategy, right? It's been here for thousands of years. It's not going anywhere. It's not a get rich quick scheme, but it's a get rich for sure. As long as you do it right over the long term, right? And a lot of what you've taught us today is about managing your risk. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts, right? First, don't lose the money, then focus on making it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you could say it any better. Just protect your downside and you know, you'll, you'll think and, and, and really drill down into what you're investing in. It's a business at the end of the day. Why is this group that's going to buy or why are you that's going to buy it going to improve it? You know, not mm-hmm. just because you're oh, I'm getting a discount. Well, okay, you're going to, that's great. But what are you going to do to make the business better? Yeah. Um, focusing on that. And, you know, that will help. Um, I don't want to say ensure success, but it'll help. You'll have a better odds of success going, going that route. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, Peter, you are wise beyond your years, my friend. Really appreciated all the knowledge you just dropped on us. Again, guys, go back and re-listen to the episode and pick up some of those nuggets. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and hope you have a great rest of the day, Peter. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate the discussion. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess if uh, one thing I didn't mention was if if folks wanted to, to reach out, learn more about what you guys are doing, is there somewhere that that folks can uh go or reach out get in contact yeah yeah so everybody i mean i'll give you know everyone my email it's ppowers at mpifamilyoffice.com you know, i'm very active on linkedin so you look up peter powers i'm sure you'll see me there or mpi family office if you look that up on linkedin very you know very active you know commenting sharing posts you know running some of my you know thoughts on you know various different items in the economic world and other items. So that's, that's a great way to reach out to me. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. And then I gave everyone my email, you know, feel free to reach out. And again, I look forward to, you know, engaging in a lot of conversations. Well, appreciate your generosity there, Peter, giving up your email and letting people reach out and yeah, hit him up on LinkedIn. And yeah, thank you, Peter. Have a great rest of the day, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.